0: Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Luis Miguel Echegaray, my old show partner at Sports Illustrated. Really enjoyed speaking to Luis. We've had some terrific guests so far on this show, including Jurgen Klopp, Hercules Gomez, and Lisa Baird. So check those interviews out. It would be absolutely huge for this podcast growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends and take just a little bit of time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts that helps people find us. We'll have Luis Miguel Echegaray on soon, but let's take a few minutes first to talk about soccer news with my friend Chris Whittingham, who's our show producer and a co-host of the Chelsea Mic'd Up pod, which you should definitely check out. Chris, how are you?
1: I always enjoy. I know you've worked very hard on your Spanish. I always enjoy when, even when you did your former podcast, the way you say Luis Miguel Echegaray and you try your best to put a Spanish flourish. You do, you, you do your very best. I very much appreciate it as a Hispanic person.
0: Thank you. I, I I like the fact that I can actually speak Spanish with a half-decent accent. I'm very yeah, proud of it. it's very hard. It's very hard. Lots going on in the soccer world midweek here, so let's dive right in. Liverpool, two points away from its first English League title in 30 years after a 4 nothing win against Palace. Some great goals in this game today.
1: What would you think? It's Liverpool back to their best. There was like a little bit, a few alarm bells of... Their results pre-coronavirus break, they go out of the Champions League, they lost to Watford, they start to drop a few points, and it's crazy that we hold Liverpool to such a high standard that... They've only, what, drawn twice and lost once, and it's like, oh, what's wrong with Liverpool? It's just it's us seeking a narrative when there is no title race, but them back at their very best. A couple of incredible goals when you look at Trent Alexander-Arnold's free kick, bent into the top corner, exquisite free kick, and then that strike from Fabinho, it comes out of nowhere. The whole Crystal Palace defense is kind of backing off of him, and it looked like he was lining up a strike, but how many times do you see that end up 15 rows up? But the tailing action, the way that he struck it, was beautiful, and it's just Liverpool at their very best today.
0: Yeah, really enjoyed watching this game. You know, kind of disappointed in Palace, actually, but, you know, we were kind of waiting for a game like this from Liverpool just to show that they could get back to their very best, and this was pretty close to their very best. Uh, Good to see Robertson back out there uh, for Liverpool. Good to see Mohamed Salah out there from the start. He got a nice goal in this game, and, you know, what's interesting about that Fabinho goal is I wonder if like that would help in the future to keep defenders honest maybe a little bit and have you know opposing defenses close down a little bit more on them because when you show that you can hit a shot from that distance, just a total rocket, uh, just so impressive.
1: And I've always been curious with the Liverpool midfield because obviously they do such a job from a defensive point of view and they help keep the game moving, but there isn't that... Kevin De Bruyne-type goal scorer, you know you're getting 10 to 12 goals out of any one of those players. Vinaldum is the most likely, but they are not. They don't carry a goal threat, so it was kind of thought that maybe Nabi Keita could be that. I think fully fit Alex Oxley chamberlain can certainly be that, but you do need to get some goals out of that midfield, and it is, again, we're talking about a team that has achieved incredible results this year, but even when they've succeeded at their very best, they've been grinding out results on occasion. We haven't really seen them swat aside. I've actually th- thought that last year when they won 97 points and came close to winning the league, and this year that they're running away with it, that previous editions, the first few editions of Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool was more fun, that they more often put three, four, and five past their opponents, but this is a more defensively solid with Van Dijk and Alisson really changing the dynamic. But i love to see Liverpool at their very best. Like, they are still so much fun when they do hit those heights. We've seen them, obviously, in the Champions League on those big nights against Barcelona and the like. But when they hit these heights, they are as fun as anybody in, in England and in the world to watch.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, a couple of things I would also mention that, you know, Liverpool, we had Jurgen Klopp on the show recently. I asked him. Are you going to be able to like not hug people? He's hugging people, man. I Just <laughs> course, all over yeah. the hugs again today, so I, I can't fault the guy for that. They're two points away, and that can be two points that Liverpool gets. That can be two points that City doesn't get, and here we have on Thursday City playing at Chelsea and needing a win at Chelsea to prevent Liverpool from clinching on Thursday. You follow Chelsea a lot. You follow City closely. What do you see happening in this game? Can can City go down and get the three points?
1: I think they can, but to me, the, the interesting dynamic is can Chelsea, because I thought that of the teams that have gone to the Etihad, and yes, Wolves went there and won, that in terms of playing and balance of play, no one really competed and played City at City's game like Chelsea did, even though they ended up losing. Uh, there was a, a few moments in that Chelsea-City game at the Etihad where it felt like Chelsea were well on top and they were going to score the game's opening goal. So I'm just curious from a competitive standpoint, Can they do it? And for me, Chelsea can absolutely lock up the title for Liverpool. And of course, there is that uh, moment uh, three or four years ago when they locked up the title for Leicester City when they beat Tottenham at home. So a club that's kind of become a domestic rival of Chelsea just based off of how frequently they're at the top of the table. It would be really interesting if Chelsea can again be the team that wins somebody else a title but I think you look at the way that City have played and yes they're going to be without Sergio Aguero perhaps for the foreseeable future because of an injury but the way that they played against Burnley the way that they played against Arsenal they I think have been the team other than Liverpool this afternoon that have come back from the restart and played the best football so it's a really interesting game and both teams have big FA Cup matches on the Sunday so we'll see priorities as well but I absolutely think that Chelsea can lock up a title for Liverpool on Thursday. Do you
0: think see Christian Pulisic and Tammy Abraham in the starting lineup?
1: I do. I think that counter, not counterattacking, but more open games suit Tammy Abraham more than when they go to Aston Villa and Chelsea kept 75% of the ball in that match. I don't think, I think Tammy Abraham is more of a runner in behind and makes the game work in an open setting. I think Giroud is more kind of the close quarters have to open up a defense kind of striker. So I, I, I definitely think that Tammy Abraham gets a start. Pulisic is an interesting one because, we really don't know what Frank Lampard's approach or attitude is with Christian Pulisic. It's kind of, sometimes he really fancies him and is singing his praises in the media, and sometimes he's saying needs to be better in training and is kind of picking at his faults rather than celebrating his strengths. I think earlier on in this season, when Christian Pulisic has played well and scored goals, Frank Lampard has rewarded him with the start. So, I think it was entirely possible that even before Christian Pulisic came off the bench and scored against Aston Villa that he was going to get a start in this match on Thursday because every manager is planning a rotation. But I definitely think now that he did get the goal and clearly led the comeback for Chelsea against Villa that he'll get the start against Manchester City.
0: Yeah, really excited to see this game for a lot of reasons on Thursday. Italy, huge comeback for Atalanta to beat Lazio 3-2 after going down 2-0 early And just a fantastic game to watch, which anyone who's followed Italy closely this year, or even not that closely, knows how much fun Atalanta is just about every game. They are uh, an attacking machine. And Lazio's had a great season, far beyond anyone's expectations. But now their title challenge in a bit of jeopardy here, not out of the picture completely, but now they're four points behind Juventus. This is a somewhat flawed Juventus team, so they could drop points later on. They even play each other at some point here down the stretch, but crazy game, and I come away just, I I freaking love Atalanta, Final (laughs) Eight in the Champions League.
1: Yeah, and they are the team this year that benefited from the draw. It seems like every year in the Champions League, there's one club that's drawn against another kind of smaller, non-giant club, and they get through to the quarterfinal, but the thing about Atalanta is they deserve every bit of it. They were incredible in that round of 16 tie, which unfortunately is now remembered as kind of the coronavirus in Italy outbreak tie more than this incredible story this small team that has a fraction of the budget of any of the clubs they're playing against pulling off this incredible bit of success and stylistically they're as fun to watch as anyone in the world so that story is incredible and they have every chance to qualify for the Champions League yet again they have every chance to really cause problems when they get into this uh, Champions League knockout tournament at the quarterfinal stage so they're hugely fun but the title race is the story here because it wasn't just Lazio losing uh, after being 2-0 up against Atalanta, it was Inter earlier in the day who had a chance to narrow that gap. They were leading against Sassuolo late at, at, at the San Siro and they couldn't hang on to all three points. So it just seems like, and I heard Nicky Bandini made this point on the uh, Guardian Football Weekly podcast and she was saying that, yes, Juventus have won the Scudetto eight, nine years in a row, and therefore it feels like an, an inevitability in retrospect. But that wasn't necessarily the case in every individual season. And I think there is always a turning point. It's like, well, Juve's going to get it. And today felt like inter-dropping points, Lazio losing, that this was the turning point, and is now going to cruise to the title.
0: I will say, though, that I felt much better at the end of those seasons about Juve doing what they need to get the title. Mm-hmm. This Juve team, even recently, That's we intense. saw in the Coppa Italia, like there's something not right there. And I still feel like Sari is, is more likely to go at the end of this season than to stay for next season. So, you know, and I think Nicky Bandini tweeted this as well. Like, I, don't write off Lazio just because of what happened on Wednesday here because uh, it's just four points. And we've seen Ju- Juventus drop a lot of points in unlikely situations this season.
1: 3 draws and 3 losses is still a pretty good record for a team towards the top of a domestic league, but you're right, I just they are so unconvincing at the moment that you could very well see it just seems like when you give such a lead whether it's 4 points or 7 points in the case of Inter, when you give a lead to a team like Juventus, it just seems like they're going to overwhelm with talent their way towards the title and from an attacking point of view It's not at all what you would expect from a Maurizio Sarri team, nor a team that has Cristiano Ronaldo in the middle of it.
0: From one big club that is kind of flawed this year, Juventus to another, Real Madrid. Still Mm. leading the league, though, much like Juventus, despite those flaws, Real Madrid beating Mallorca 2-0, and no big surprises in this game. Sergio Ramos with a very nice free kick. I guess it was a good day for defenders and really nice free kicks with (laughs) Trent Alexander-Arnold in Liverpool's game. But, you know, Madrid's doing what they need to do to stay just a hair above Barcelona.
1: And since they've come back from the restart, they've won four on the bounce. And it really feels like they've at least figured out under Zidane what they want to be. And domestically, Zidane has not always gotten that right. So it seems though they've got a way to grind out results. The other interesting bit is kind of how weak to me Barcelona have been I thought when they came back from the restart I thought they, they played really well in their first game against Mallorca but uh, when you look at the 1-0 against Athletic uh, when you look at the nil-nil that they played against Sevilla it's just kind of back towards the beginning of the Kike Setián era where from a passing point of view yes they wanted to keep possession but it was going nowhere and they weren't really causing problems or creating chances just possession for possession's sake and yes that style of play is part of the Barcelona identity but it's not so toothless very often and I think Kike TNS to figure out yes you want to make Messi the center of the affair but it can't be at the expense of this team play so I, I think that Barcelona have a lot to figure out as well and if you're to make me pick right now I'd probably have Real Madrid as my favorites to win the title with seven games to play
0: yeah I think so too uh, when you look at how Real Madrid's playing compared to Barcelona when you look at the opponents the rest of the way keep in mind the tiebreaker if they happen to tie on points is head-to-head Real Madrid mm-hmm. has that tiebreaker over Barcelona Uh, People may not everywhere realize that the Spanish league has it's not goal difference is the first tiebreaker. So yeah, I I think it's it's going to shade toward Real Madrid. And and I think for Zidane, that would be a very gratifying thing if he were able to to find a way to win the league and add to their trophy count, not just winning Champions League titles. I think this is going to be the race that continues toward the, the very end. I, I I don't feel like Italy is going to be that tight, at least as, as tight as we're seeing in Spain. Obviously England's not the case. Germany's done. So uh, other news coming on Thursday, FIFA is going to vote for the host of women's world cup 2023. That is between Colombia and a shared bid from Australia and New Zealand. And This one might be a little more intriguing uh, than originally thought. I made some calls this week and the people I talked to were like, yeah, it's, it's pretty cut and dried for Australia and New Zealand. Uh, They thought, but it's gotten a little more interesting in the last 24 hours because uh, European countries are starting to make a push to their FIFA council voters because this is the FIFA council voting, not the whole membership to vote for Colombia. Um, You know, we expect CONMEBOL will vote uh, for the South American country, as I understand it from people I've called. CONCACAF will vote for Australia, New Zealand. Hmm. Asia will vote for Australia, New Zealand. And then if Europe actually does vote largely for Colombia, it could come down to African countries um, and their representatives on the council. So uh, it's not a done deal. But it certainly seems like Australia, New Zealand uh, is the favorite here coming in. And uh, how do you feel about that? I mean, like, Colombia would be an interesting choice, Australia, Mm -hmm. New Zealand – uh, interesting time situation potentially for kickoffs in the United States.
1: Before we get to my thoughts, I want to ask you since you've done the reporting, do you have any insight onto how they make these decisions? Like, why is the United States supporting the Australia New Zealand bid? And why would, for example, Europe throw their support behind the Columbia bid? Like, is there any insight? Because, like, I think a lot of people would suspect, like, there's money or shadiness or things like that. But I can't imagine every decision is made on that level at FIFA. Do you have any insight as to why? the countries and continents make the decisions the way that they do
0: so what i was told is that the u.s wants to bid for 2027 Mm -hmm. for the women's world cup and there's a feeling that if Colombia, a a country in the americas were to get it for 2023 that would lessen the chances Mm -hmm. of the u.s getting it for 2027 i don't know i'm like okay I mean, like, I don't know <laughs> if it should be that way. I but. mean, the,
1: the, those 12 months of World Cup 26 and, World, and Women's World Cup 27 in 12 months would be insane in this country if they managed to pull that off. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess that that is a reason. But I just wanted to make this point about the, the decision here between Australia and New Zealand versus Colombia. I think, for example, I think the last kind, the last two World Cups, the last five years, has been the European renaissance of the women's game. We've seen the major European clubs. Uh, some of them throw their support behind it. You've got clubs like Lyon and... Atletico Madrid and, you know, some of the big English giants like Man City and Arsenal and Chelsea are throwing their weight behind the women's game. And I think you will see European countries really catch up to the United States, as I think we saw in this last Women's World Cup over these next few years. So Europeans have kind of had their renaissance in their building. We'll see how much COVID kind of slows that down. But there is such a fervor and passion for the game in South America that I'm surprised that there isn't a similar dawn for those countries. Brazil has obviously always demonstrated strength in the women's game, but there's also been a pretty significant lack of support. And we'll see if Pia Sundhage who's now the manager of Brazil, can kind of get that back on track. But the other major South American countries often go to the Women's World Cup and embarrass themselves and put on very paltry displays. And so, I think a Women's World Cup in South America would probably be a bigger deal for the women's game because Australia and New Zealand have already taken the women's game seriously. I think having a target like that in Colombia would be massive towards getting some of the South American countries to really feel like they need to qualify and then put on a show once there because South America is a major nexus of the game across the world and they need to be involved in the women's game for me as much as anybody if the game is truly going to become global and grow.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that. I would say that that's why I was kind of surprised Brazil pulled out because Mm -hmm. I think if you're FIFA and you can have a women's world cup in Brazil where they got giant ratings on TV for the 2019 world cup, that that really could take women's soccer to a totally new level in Brazil and more so in South America in general. Colombia has been sort of hot and cold on women's soccer over the years because They've actually qualified for the Olympics and the World Cup a few times, and they have a women's league, but that's been very hot and cold on the amount of support that they get from the clubs and the federation there. So there have been certainly times, and I know this from talking to Melissa Ortiz, who lives here in New York, used to play for the Colombian women's national team, basically player strikes Mm -hmm. against the Colombian federation at times. So, you know, there's also the technical report on the the hosting sites, the bid the bidding countries and Colombia was at the bottom by quite a bit. Australia-New Zealand got a, a really positive technical report. So if you choose Australia, New Zealand, it's not like you're going to take the sport to it of women's soccer to a totally different level there. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. But just based on on who would be which country would be the most reliable facilities and things like that I, I, it's it's australia new zealand but we'll see how it shakes out you know I, i'm fine going either place and to be honest from a television perspective for americans if you're yeah. looking out at it from a self-centered perspective a tournament in Colombia would probably be a heck of a lot easier
1: right you probably have games you know 6 p.m eastern time versus in the middle of the night although we haven't had a middle of the night World Cup in a long time. And I actually thought that the Qatar World Cup would be one. But no, the 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 time zones they put out for the Winter World Cup won't be too bad. But I feel like the people that and I I was I was very young, so I wasn't like, you know, waking up at three in the morning, but the people that remember that O2 World Cup as experiencing from the United States and, you know, teenagers that got up in the middle of the night, like that was kind of a fun and iconic experience. And I like I feel like that would be a, a memorable one to do that again. But you're right, from a television standpoint, and to me, I do think that. FIFA does have some responsibility to, yes, put on a good World Cup, but also, particularly with the women's game, figure out with it's hosting the best way to grow the game. So that's why if I had a vote and I was just kind of looking at these two choices, I'd pick Colombia. But I understand from a technical aspect, if you just want to host a World Cup, you'd host it in a place like Australia and New Zealand every time.
0: One last thing about it, I-, I do wonder, do you remember like when the Beijing Olympics happened and they had the swimming finals at like 8 a.m. local time for yeah. American television? Like, I Great. wonder if FIFA might do something like that, <laughs> knowing yeah. how big... Uh, women's soccer is in the United States, but we'll find out on Thursday who's going to be hosting that World Cup. Lastly here, we've got actual soccer in the United States taking place starting this Saturday. The NWSL Challenge Cup tournament starts, Portland against North Carolina, 25-game tournament, and it's going to be on Big CBS, which is kind of cool. They're the new rights holders for that league, and I think it's kind of cool, right, that We've got soccer starting in America again before the other U.S. pro team sports leagues.
1: Yeah, and MLS is not far behind them either. Baseball will uh, will have started before MLS does. But you're right. I, I, and I was in a group chat today. I had to correct everyone. Oh, your baseball is going to be first back. Nope, the NWSL is first back. It's a bit unfortunate, but the headline for me is that one of the nine teams in NWSL won't be there because Orlando Pride had to drop out because of the number of COVID cases that they had. And I think it is really interesting because... It is the first hub tournament that we've seen in this country, and that is kind of the model that all the major sports leagues are following, especially given the rising number of cases, especially in a state like Florida that's going to be hosting both the NBA and MLS. So it'd be curious to see if any more teams are affected by the virus and how this goes off without any fans in the stadium and with the virus in Utah, a place that's also uh, seen some increases in cases. So unfortunately the virus is probably the major talking point. Although obviously the stars, the women's game being back on our television screens and being on a new television screen in CBS over the air television. It's crazy uh, for a sport like the NWSL. that's so new to have done that, but them being first through the door is, is, is the major talking point. And second is can they handle it? Can this go without a hitch and another team dropping out?
0: Really appreciate you coming on the show, Chris. It's always fun talking to you and, many thanks.
1: Thanks for having me. All
0: right, here we go. My interview with Luis Miguel Echegaray. Our guest now is truly one of my favorite people in the world, a guy who's like a brother to me. Luis Miguel Echegaray and I did more than 100 podcasts together and nearly 100 video shows at Sports Illustrated. And I am thrilled he can join me right now. How are you, my friend? The boys are
2: back in town. The boys are back in town.
0: Uh, I'm glad you always do the singing because I can't. And so I appreciate that. It is wonderful to see you.
2: Welcome back. Great to be here, man. So happy. I'm so happy for this podcast. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy that we've been uh, reunited. I love it. Me too. Uh, I miss you greatly. Uh, I,
0: you know, listeners have to understand here, and I think a fair number of you probably listened to our shows uh, and watched our shows over the last few years. I spent more time with you than any other coworker in the same room over the last few years, and uh, you know that is something I treasure. So it's uh, it's been really hard. Even though we live in the same city, not to to see each other uh, much at all over the last three months, and and you know now we can't even be in the same room together, but we can connect by a Zoom at least.
2: I know. I felt like it was uh, you know insult to injury, right? We were like hit with one, then another one. Yeah, man. I mean, listen, the reciprocated listeners should know how much equally, uh, I, I share the thoughts that you just said. I, I'm just you know. I consider you like a brother. We did so many amazing things. And, you know, one of the things that I miss is that our conversations were just so seamless. Like, you know, most people that the ongoing joke has always been like, you know, there's never any drama whenever Grant and Luis Miguel talk. There's never any arguments. It's like, well, it's because we pretty much agree on everything. (laughs) Definitely, at least when it comes to the beautiful game. So, I mean, I guess we could hit other, like, topics, but when it comes to football, at least, we're we're pretty much even. (laughs) I I, I think we actually agree on things outside of football, too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) But we also agreed on the fact that we love this sport. And, and so I have always looked forward to, uh, to our conversations, whether it's now, whether it's, uh, when we were working at the same place together and I, at, at the end of every podcast we recorded, we would turn off the, the machine and I would just say to you, that's
2: my favorite part of the week. Work-wise. and it was, it was so good that it was like usually on the monday morning cuz it just you know <laughs> it sets the week off yes just yes otherwise i need like a third cup of coffee or whatever <laughs> but yeah ditto, my friend ditto. good to be here yeah so i mean how are you how is how is your family how are you holding up yeah i mean i i guess my answer is pretty much going to be similar to many others i'm okay uh not great but doing better day by day obviously you know, the pandemic and just the ongoing, you know, just equal shared fights that we have when it comes to standing with social justice and the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, everything, whether you march or not, whether you're on social, everything just takes a toll, right? So uh, my wife is a public school teacher, so that's been tough for her, but she's, she's made it through. And obviously I'm her partner in crime when it comes to every day. So we've been both, you know, sharing an apartment has been interesting, you know, doing videos and stuff on one side, and then her teaching a second grade class in another one, uh, it it has been intriguing for sure. But listen, like, you know, we always have to remember that, that, you know, there are people out there who are truly struggling. And so, you know, I always count my lucky, blessings and and thank the Lord that I have my my wife with me and, you know, my my family is safe, you know, across, you know, the world, but I'm okay, man. Day by day, day by day. I mean, it's been tough, but just like you, just like, you know, me and other friends and family, we're all just getting by just day by day. That's all you got to do.
0: Yeah. And I mean, your wife, Jen, does amazing work as a teacher. Uh, I'm really proud of my wife, Celine, who, Uh, As a doctor. An amazing person. Incredible. Medical analyst. She's actually recording a thing on CNN literally this second. So I'm recording this in the bedroom, (laughs) and the dogs are atypically in here with me. So if we have any. Dog entries into the screen or the or the sound here, you'll know why. But uh, they're they're being quiet so far.
2: So well, it was uh, Zizu's birthday, actual birthday yesterday. So you know, yes. the the actual real Zizu So maybe dog Zizu will come in and, and say hello. <laughs> um,
0: I mean, it's interesting because like soccer is basically the only team sport going uh, globally at this point, and and I wonder like what is soccer coming back meant to you? I mean, there's so much serious stuff going on in the world right now, but has it been possible for you to, to feel good about soccer coming back and, and enjoy it?
2: That's a really good question. And actually I haven't even had the time to Think about that kind of question. It's really good and it's good for many reasons because I think the answer honestly Grant is I don't know. I it's 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 been a bizarre feeling to have it back. Um almost I felt almost guilty every now and again just enjoying the fact that when the Bundesliga came back, La Liga, obviously the Premier League you know, and then news of the, you know, NWSL and then MLS. So, you know, like you said, the, the, the soccer world returning is it, obviously as a soccer fan. I mean, you're a fool if you're a soccer fan and you say to yourself, no, no, I, I don't enjoy this. Obviously, there's a part of it that is so grateful that you're able to watch once again the sport that you love. But the reason why I called it a good question is because honestly, like part of that answer is, is, is you know guilty it's, it's, it's you know I want the world to be better before we can truly enjoy it and obviously the game hasn't come back fully to what we remember it and it may never will to be honest with you we don't know yet but it, it's been good in the sense of aesthetically and emotionally to be honest it's, ble- it's, it's been so uh, helpful and I'll tell you something it's not so much the action actually it's not so much, you know, what's going on the pitch. Of course, we love that. And that's part of it. I think it's because we're a community. Yeah. And it's kind of been this thing where like once soccer returned, the community returned. Right. Whether that's digital or you talking to your friend on the phone or texting somebody or an IG message. That, that could, we take that for granted a lot that it's not just about the game itself, but rather the community that's built around the game. Hence what we're doing right now, right? Right. So that to me is what is great and I love. In terms of the action, it's been bizarre. I felt guilty about it, but really I've surpassed that because we've once again rejuvenated a community that's so important to us, right?
0: Yeah, I I, I am fine with You know, like the first game that Lionel Messi played again, you know, and he was great in it, that gave me joy to watch. And and he's done that a lot over the years. Um, But I didn't necessarily feel guilty. I mean, I, I should explain here that I feel like it needs to be safe for the people, for the players involved and everyone connected. And I think Germany did a good job. In being the first major league to kick off again, and they haven't had any cases. I am concerned about the US and what we're seeing in several sports here is, as they get going again. I'm concerned that, you know, the Orlando Pride ended up not being able to even compete in this NWSL Challenge Cup, which starts this weekend because they had too many COVID cases and and so i think the safety part of it is tremendously important and if you can't be safe it shouldn't be happening right now if it is safe i think it's possible to enjoy it and not feel bad about it yeah about watching the premier league or or italy or spain or or germany um yeah. you know and and and, and so I think that little piece of humanity has come back and, and I think it's been good and it's been, you know, it's not like we're suddenly forgetting about all the, the important stuff that's going on in the world, but, uh, but it's been nice, I think, to, to watch soccer again, even if there aren't fans in the stadiums, even if uh, it's not the same thing.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I think actually the the guilt comes from me, you being a former coach, like a youth coach, and playing it so much and just, you know, um, to me, part of what makes this game so beautiful is that it's the global game, not just because we're watching professionals, but because it's like a hyper local thing, right? Yeah. It's like you go outside and somewhere around your diameter whatever you live, wherever you are in the world, somebody is kicking something Yeah. at some point. And that to me is like... So beautiful, and that's why they call it the beautiful game. So that—that's the guilt part. Like I want everybody to enjoy it and stuff. But I'm with you. Like, we, and we need it, man. Like we need these leaks. Like we we need we need it. We're human beings and 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 lovers of sport. It's it's natural to ache for it and be happy when it returns in one way or another. So. Pro soccer is the
0: first U.S. team sport back. NWSL starts this weekend. MLS has its own bubble tournament starting in Orlando uh, early July. Fingers crossed on all that (laughs) stuff. Um, Is this an opportunity, like a real opportunity in your mind, for the sport of soccer to get more eyeballs, new eyeballs in America because it's the only team sport going until
2: basically the end of July? Yeah, I think about that a lot. And it's actually something that we always think about when the World Cup comes around, right? When the men's World Cup and the women's World Cup comes around, especially the women's, uh, when you think about specifically the U.S. soccer community. But yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's been a pivotal time. I mean, when the Bundesliga returned and it was the first major European league to come back, I remember, you know, being on Twitter or whatever and just seeing the amount of people that didn't even know anything about, you know, soccer let alone the Bundesliga and they became heavily invested I don't know how long that lasts or whatever but it was such a pivotal moment to introduce new fans for it and that's actually been a big part of what I do right now at SI where I'm trying to like take advantage of that and be like listen This is our game, like everybody's game. Come, watch, enjoy, right? Understand that there's so much more than just the World Cup. There are so many amazing tournaments, etc. But I'm with you. And in respect to America, I think the NWSL and MLS is in a key position to bring in that young fan one of the major things that i always talk about is like when you look at like the demographic of like the 12 year olds to about 19 year olds in this country that is a demo that's totally changing when it comes to like what they're watching You know, NFL still rules all in many ways, but when you look at the second and third place, soccer is very slowly creeping up with that demographic. With your young generation's ears, who are very, very good on social and understand the digital components of what it's like to watch sports away from just the television, soccer is in a prime place to grab that, and I think MLS and the NWSL, and everything else that goes with it, is in a key spot, as you said, to really bring that new fan. I mean, it's it's a tremendous opportunity for sure.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm about to subscribe for the first time to CBS Sports All Access, uh, <laughs> or is it CBS All Access? Whatever it is, the CBS streaming platform uh, that's gonna uh, have NWSL games this year, they're gonna be showing all of the NWSL Challenge Cup games, Uh, The opener and the final are going to be on big CBS on television, which uh, is great for this league. And I think it would be a really cool thing if NWSL made some strides here uh, as this tournament goes on, just because, like, soccer fans are into it. But it's also the only game in town, at least in the U.S., uh, you know, for the next several weeks.
2: And let's not forget, man, like, from a participation perspective, Soccer is the most played sport in this country. Like right. it just it just is. That's not a opinion, that's a fact. So try and get those folks to understand it. And I think, you know, and also like NWSL, but also MLS is more international than any other North American sports league. Like let's let's bring it together. Let's let's celebrate this game of ours. I mean, it's in a pivotal, it's in a key moment right now for these leagues to try and get those fans for sure. I mean, we've suddenly gone from like having like no
0: sports to like a crazy amount of (laughs) soccer going on with all these leagues from all these countries again. And I'm just wondering, like, what are some of the things you are most excited about in the soccer world right now?
2: Interesting. Well, I mean, you know, I am wearing my Villa shirt and I wouldn't say (laughs) I'm excited, but like it's constantly on my mind, the Premier League race, obviously, Liverpool, as we speak, are you know, uh, getting closer and closer to that title. And the relegation battle is one that uh, I just literally just tweeted a thread about it how you know it really puts the emphasis on escaping the drop as opposed to overcoming it because you know it's just really bad teams at the bottom trying to survive. So that's part of it, but also, man, La Liga man, La Liga's title race is unbelievable right now. I don't think, I think people need to get back. And remember just the course of what happened this season, even before the pandemic. I mean, despite the inconsistency of management, you know, with Valverde leaving and Setién coming in, Barcelona was still leading the table. And it was mainly by default because other teams were really not doing enough. And here comes Zinedine Zidane returning once again to Real Madrid and, you know, It's just neck and neck with Barcelona. So to me, La Liga title race is super interesting. And of course, we have to talk about Lionel Messi. Something that I'm just watching out for. Obviously, getting closer, one goal away from getting 700 career goals. But there's other records that he's going for. You know, he's trying to beat Pelé's 643 single goal club record for Santos. And a seventh Pichichi grant. A record. That's amazing. So, we say it all the time, but we're so lucky to have Lionel Messi and we need to just like <laughs> savor him every bow that he has. And as we speak, of course, it's his birthday. So those are the, a few of the things that I'm, I, I'm intrigued and I'm excited about. And finally, I'm excited to see what MLS does when it comes back with that tournament.
0: Yeah, no, me too. I mean, Messi turning 33 is one of those things where you're like, I, I it kind of hits you. It's not like, I, I knew how old he was, but for some reason I'm bothered more by Messi turning 33 than whatever age Cristiano Ronaldo is now, which is what 35, something like that.
2: Yeah. Who cares? Uh, Messi is who I really care.
0: Yeah. And, and and I feel like every opportunity to see Messi is just that much more important. Yeah. You know? Uh, Yeah. I will say this about the Spanish title race. I feel like there should be a bit more buzz than we're, we're getting about it. And I think part of that is because both Real Madrid and
2: Barcelona are flawed. Yeah, it, it's not a perfect race, that's right. It's not like two beautiful giants going off against each other. They are giants, but they've been very inconsistent this season. They've relied too much on certain components. It hasn't been a perfect race, but just the fact that once again, we are seeing a title race between those yeah. two makes it super interesting.
0: I feel like I, I, I'm spoiled. Let's face it. Like we're spoiled. I, I, I think sometimes we feel like it always has to be the best against the best at their best. And this is more like the best against the best at their kind of half best.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember, I think I was getting on with a Twitter argument with somebody because obviously that's going to happen eventually, but you know, about, you know, so he was saying something like Messi has been terrible these last four games, and I'm like, he's four assists, two goals. You know, if you know that if that's his worst, you know, then you know, consider ourselves lucky. We we take so many things for granted, man. Like and it, forget La Liga, but just the access of what we see, the fact that we can see all these things, you know, thanks to just our phone is unbelievable. And obviously, there are more important things in life, but I'm telling you, like. It's amazing how much content we have right now and how much we take it for granted.
0: It's kind of funny, though, because I had somebody ask me recently, well, Robert Lewandowski has certainly won the Ballon d'Or now. And I'm like, what? Like, I assume that we're going to take Champions League performance into account. This is going to happen in August. Are you telling me that, that like, Messi's out, that he can't win it?
2: Exactly. No, not at all. No. Robert Lewandowski is the best number 9 in the world. But to have it to have the Ballon d'Or sealed is no. There's so much still more to go. Let's remember something like you said, the Champions League is coming back. We don't know yet what's going to happen in that tournament or how the best of the best face against each other because let's face it, that's what it is, right? So as much as I enjoy the Bundesliga, uh, you know, the bigger challenges for Lewandowski are, are things like the Champions League, etc. And you shouldn't discount people like, like you said, Lionel Messi or, you know, maybe Sadio Mane or, you know, I would say Kun Agüero, but he's now injured. But, you know, so there's still a lot of challenges to go for. I can't believe the Champions League's coming back, by the way. That's another thing that really hasn't been spoken about enough, I think.
0: Well, I mean, it's going to be a fun <coughs> knock, knockout tournament. Uh, eight teams. In August, in Lisbon, in a format that we haven't seen, at least in the modern game, and I'm just bummed out. The one thing I'm bummed out about is that Timo Werner won't be with Leipzig, because Leipzig has kind of been trash with <laughs> Timo Werner the last <laughs> few weeks, and I I really wanted to see Tyler Adams make a run to the, like the Champions League semis or final, and just as an upstart, and I don't see that happening now. And I actually think the the team, the Leipzig team that we saw beat Tottenham pre-virus,
2: could have made a run like that. Absolutely. The momentum that they were going through in that tournament before the pandemic was amazing. Without Timo Werner, forget it. (laughs) Timo is just too important for that team. Um, Who do you see winning it, actually? Bayern Munich
0: based on current form, but you have to wonder how long the layoff is going to you know, how much that's gonna impact them and, and presumably quite a bit. I mean, it's, it's so hard to, to come
2: off a, a, a rest that is as long as they're going to have. What's amazing to me is, not amazing, but something that I'm thinking a lot about is that, let's for, not forget that the fact that everything is now gonna be in a neutral location I think gives a a huge advantage. I think there are teams, especially in the Champions League, that really get that 12th man euphoria when they have their stadium right behind them. I mean, Liverpool are amazing, amazing. But at Anfield, it's like such a euphoric, type of experience I mean look what they did against Barcelona last year right so I'm not saying that you know it's a huge disadvantage but I think in the Champions League setting when really it's just the best of the best you put it in a neutral spot it's going to be interesting to see who really overcomes that and who makes the best use out of being in a neutral setting
0: yeah I mean I think Man City I think has to be considered yeah. a favorite as well yeah. I think they're going to get by Real Madrid in that return leg round of 16
2: I think Man match. City's winning it I'm telling you that right now they maybe should hope they do because they may not be able to compete <laughs> yeah, they, in this yeah, tournament they, <laughs> in the next couple of years. Yeah, they need to win it.
0: <laughs> so might as well get it while you can. Um, yeah. We're winding down here, but I did I did want to ask you uh, about Raul Jimenez, who <sighs> scored another goal for Wolves. Um, he's having a terrific season. I, do you see like a, an even bigger future for him in terms of like, a club he might play for at some point like how Not, how high can he go
2: well let's go to the first part of that i mean let, let's put a little bit into con i'm really glad that we may end it on Raul Jimenez this i mean listen like before the season even started i remember doing a video right and i was asked pick three players who you think people need to watch out for two of them like It didn't do anything. I was wrong. But the third one, like who was my main person, was Raul Jimenez. And it's really honestly, even before he came to Wolves, it was the glimpses that I saw when he was in Portugal and the glimpses that I saw, you know, just going up the, the ranks of the Mexican national team. This is a player. He has now what? I think because of scoring this week, he has 15 goals he already surpassed Chicharito's single-season record as the only first, like, the highest scorer Mexican in a season, uh, combining with Adama Traore for, you know, 10 goals they've scored together. That's just amazing. I I think, and I've, th- I've thought this I thought this last season, and I thought that he was going to be better, I didn't think he was going to be this good. A lot of it, obviously, has to do with he makes the best use out of what he has, and Nuno Espirito Santo is so good at making the best out of him. You know, he has such a good support system with, you know, Diego Jota and Neves and, of course, Arama Traore. But this kid, I mean, this kid can play for Real Madrid. This, this kid is a Champions League caliber player. And I said it, I think I said it in January and I'll say it again. I think he should be very Wolves-like. I don't think he'll be with Wolves next season. I just... There's going to be some... I mean, maybe because of what's going on right now and in terms of financial stability and how teams are willing to gamble on players, but he's not a gamble. This is a player. Yeah. This is a player. He is so good, and he definitely, definitely is a Champions League caliber striker, for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I'm so impressed with Roe Jimenez, and I think he has a limitless ceiling. Uh, he does need service and Traore in particular has been so effective. They've combined for more goals, the two of them than any other tandem in the league. Yeah. 10. I mean, so like, it's just really, really impressive, I think. And I think Mexico has uh, a lot to
2: look forward to with him. Here's the other thing, uh, GW Raul Jimenez is 29 years old. Mm -hmm. So he's not, He's not he's no spring chicken right. and he knows that this is his moment to really take the most of what he's doing. So I think that if the right offer comes in, I would even venture to say that Raul Jimenez might be like listen Nuno like I love Wolves, I've had a great time, but if we I mean if they don't get Champions League like he's got to really consider his future. He has to be selfish here.
0: Well, I just want to thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your busy week to join me and uh I feel like, this is comfort food for me, man, to, to do a podcast with you. We've done so many over the years, and I feel in my absolute natural state talking soccer with you. So thanks so much, brother.
2: Brother, thank you so much. I'm so happy that your podcast is just such a success. It's amazing. And I agree. I think we are comfort food. We're like vanilla ice cream with brownies. <laughs> I'm the brownies part. <laughs> <laughs> But we go like peas and carrots, man. I'm so happy for your podcast and all the best, brother. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge
0: favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Luis Miguel Echegaray, as well as producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. I also want to thank Taylor Rockwell and Daryl Grove of The Total Soccer Show for everything they've done to help get this show off the ground. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.